Welcome to the Youth School Podcast, where we believe inside of everybody there is a great story waiting to be discovered and lived. This is the show where we guide you on your journey in discovering what your story could be. It's your life. Don't let anybody else write it. Hey, everybody. This is your host for today's episode. This is Scott Schimmel. I'm the chief guide with the U School. And today, we have an extremely special guest. His name is Michael Davidson from Team Rubicon. Michael, welcome to the U School podcast. Hey, thanks a lot, Scott. Appreciate uh, you inviting me to be here. Well, today, we are moving on to another principle of U School, the idea that you are becoming someone. And one of the key questions that we want to help people process in their lives is to get a picture of who they're becoming, to, uh, the trajectory that you're on, the path that you're on, uh, it's headed somewhere. And a big part of what we think uh, leads into leading well is getting clear, getting a, a clear picture, a clear vision of the kind of person that you want to be. And so we're going to focus some of our questions and conversations through the lens of that. But Michael, I want the folks listening to get to know you. And I know that you have a military background, so we, we don't need to start back at the beginning, like when you were born. Let's not go that far back. But if you could take us back to uh, what led you to joining the military, what, what was it for you? I know some guys, uh, some folks, it's uh, escaping something. For some, it's headed towards something. For some, it comes from a family, long family tradition. So what led you to joining the military? Yeah, um, well, first off, I'll, I'll just say that um, the beauty of youth school, you know, is, is you know, coming out on the, the back end and being able to tell your story. Yeah. And just, just for the listeners, I would just say that, like, I got these questions about 30 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And I read through them, and I'm, like, completely comfortable in answering all of them because I know my story. So thanks, thanks to you. I'm able to respond to you know the questions that you have outlined here in this, uh, this interview. Um, That's a good way of saying I know my... this is not going to be boring. <laughs> well, <laughs> hopefully it's not. <laughs> um, so yeah, so like take take uh, taking me back to like when I joined the military and why. Um, you know, not to get too too like going all the way back to like when you know I was born and everything, but like you know. Here I am. I'm 18 years old. Um, life has happened. You know, I'm out of high school and um, not able to fulfill my dreams. I'm not able to follow that path of becoming a an artist and going to the School of Visual Arts in New York just because of fiscal matters. Mm-hmm. Um, just weren't really prepared for that. Uh, my grandparents had like kind of spent their savings on getting me through high school because I went to a boarding school. Mm. Um, but you know, I was a little bit lost and, and I, I was in, I had enrolled in, um, junior college and I was miserable, <laughs> you know, I wasn't able to take any art. Um, I will tell you that most of the classes I took weren't really relative. Uh, I, I did have two semesters. Well, I should say a, a semester and nine tenths of a second semester of fencing. Um, you fencing. know, I just, I had no idea. Yeah, I had no idea good for you. what I was going to do with my life. And a good friend of mine, um, my best friend growing up, Chris Gaffney, had um, called me and he was uh, 
getting done with his freshman year of, uh, of college there at Trinity University. And um, it was right around the same time as the Exxon Valdez spill. And we were going to spend our summer and go respond to that. Hmm. Um, we made it as far as Boulder, Colorado. And turns out that they already had enough volunteers in Alaska. So we were just kind of on standby. Long story short, we spent the summer in Boulder, Colorado and had a blast. He went back to college. I had nothing to do huh. uh, because I had sold everything and essentially moved away and dropped out of college. Lost. I began to reflect upon like the greatest guidance I had in my life at that time. And actually still do. And that was my grandfather. My grandfather was a World War II Navy veteran. Hmm. And, you know, I just, I admired the man and how he had built this life and just everything that he stood for. So I responded to a ad in a, a local newspaper. This is back when we did not have indeed.com or, you know, <laughs> zip recruiter. Yeah. Um, we were actually looking through one ad and there was a, wow. one, there was an ad that said underwater welders needed no experience required. Hmm. So I called it and it was the Navy recruiter. All right. Um, a little bait and so switch I mean, there, trying to get all those yeah, budding you want, <laughs> underwater welders. <laughs> you want to talk about like catfish. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I reached out catfish. and, you know, Navy recruiting and I hung up and this is back in the days of star 69. So <laughs> he, he immediately called me back. You're kidding. No, not at all. This is great. Uh, so he called me back and, you know, gave me his spiel and invited me to come in uh, to take the ASVAB. So I did. And um, long, you know, again, another long story short, but um, found myself about a month later at the military entrance processing system, also called, uh, or a station also called MEPS. Uh, they're in Little Rock, Arkansas, and I was on my way to boot camp. Wow. How long? Called my grand. Uh, I'm sorry. I called my grandfather from the MEP station. Yeah. And and told him that hey, I'm joining the military. I'm joining the Navy. I'm gonna, you know, um, you, you inspired me. And hmm. his reaction was like, yeah, don't call me again until you graduate boot camp. <laughs> you're not there so, yet. No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> just because you signed a dotted line doesn't mean that you're ready to take on this journey. Yeah. So I mean, it was a, it was a good kick in the you know kick in the butt and I did and mm. 23 years later I retired 23 years so I know this is hard to even imagine but um let's say you didn't call the recruiter you didn't see that that desires one ad where do you think where do you think your life would have headed where do you think you would have gone at least from a professional standpoint if it hadn't been the navy yeah. Oh, just a very ponderous question to you know even like wrap your head around like i have no idea really um i probably would have gone back to college and gotten some sort of like tangible degree or what i thought was tangible you know mm -hmm. um and ended up sort of like living a life without fulfillment um but a good bank account hmm. because that's sort of like the expected duty of everyone. Mm -hmm. 
I, I would like to say that, you know, oh, I probably would have been like, I don't know, a blimp driver or something. But mm-hmm. the, 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 the truth of the matter is like, yeah, I probably would have just fallen in with like the rest of society and, you know, make a wage, buy a home, um, live a life and, you know, probably like spawn a f- couple of kids and mm-hmm. maybe be an above water welder. You never know. Yeah. It does. Maybe I but it was kind of cool because like when I was in high school and like going through art class, like um, I experimented in welding. So it's like, oh, cool. I know a little bit about welding. Yeah. Maybe, and I do like the water. So, oh, this is perfect. Um, but after being in the Navy for 23 years, underwater welding, not a glamorous profession and very tough and in, in grueling <laughs> environments. Probably would have done well. Uh-huh. Right. Well, I, I've had this idea for a while that, that where you work uh, impacts you, w- the environment that you work in, because we spend so much time working. And I, I have not served in the military, but I can imagine that if, if that's true for somebody working in a normal, let's say, corporate job, eight to five, I can, I can imagine maybe to the 10th to the degree that that would be true for someone in the military, because you're all in. So when you look back on your 23 years, what, what did the military produce in your life? What did it, what did it turn you into? What did it, what did it make in you? If, if, um, if that question's even clear. Um, I would say that, you know, my story is a little bit um, unique, but I mean, I'm sure there's many others that have similar stories, but I mean, I would just say like it's a little bit unique because I went kind of on a non-traditional path, like meaning that I was 10 years enlisted and 13 years as an officer um did it turn me into anything no i think the military just really sort of like emancipated me to be uh, hmm. who i am and, and and that is like i i care greatly for you know the brothers and sisters that i serve with and it really offered me through like mentorship of like senior enlisted folks um and and several just amazing naval officers uh, guiding me along a path and letting me become who i am as a leader and i think that that is like invaluable Hmm. i mean i i I can definitely point to sort of like um tangent or, or tangible um outcomes you know like i was struggling in school and joined the military uh, 10 years later, you know, I, I get my bachelor's degree from going through night school uh, and get my commission. And then almost like 10 years later, I go back to school, get my master's degree. Hmm. And this was all like through like the GI Bill and, you hmm. know, tuition assistance. And I, I would not have been able to accomplish this on my own. Yeah. And, and the military, like, as as regimented as it is, and it, it needs to be regimented, and we need to have guidelines and you know like how we uh, conduct our our daily business. I mean that's all good, but those guidelines kind of give you left and right lateral limits and let you be you mm. in becoming a leader. And mm. don't get me wrong, I mean there are folks I served alongside with that I'm like you. Uh, there's no way I'd love to be like a like an E3 working for you, um, mm-hmm. but there were like other officers and senior enlisted where I'd be just like, my God! I mean, <laughs> the way that you conduct yourself and 
you, you just, you demand almost like a presence of, you know, us wanting to emulate you. Mm. And I, I went for the latter. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to be an emulation of, of what people wanted to, you know, like how they wanted to serve. Hmm. In the nature versus nurture debate about leadership, the idea that leaders are born or leaders are made, what, what is your thought on that? Looking back on your time as a leader in the Navy, what, were, you, were you always a leader and this helped give you the environment and the platform for that? Or did the Navy turn you into a leader? I would say a combination of the both. Um, you know, like, I think I have, like, sort of a a demeanor that, you know, is nurturing. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, there are times when you got to kind of, like, you know, put your foot down and stand your ground. And, and that's what the Navy taught me was, you know, those, those appropriate times. They also, the Navy also offered me an opportunity to, to be who I I am, and that's that nurturing kind of leader. Hmm. So a combination of the both, like you know, like it's situationally dependent. Um, I I took way, I don't know. I part of me wants to say like I took way more away from the Navy than it gave me, or that I provided mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. But I would also say that I think I provided a, a lot back not necessarily to like big Navy or big DOD, but I think I provided a lot back to the individuals that I worked alongside with. Mm-hmm. And I shouldn't say worked a more appropriate term would be served. Mm. So 23 years. I'm curious about your transition. Um, tell us in a, in a minute, kind of the good, bad, the ugly of your transition what what was it like how did it feel why did you transition yes yeah, so uh, i don't know if i can do this in a minute but right. i'll try to like I'll, I'll try to like summarize this as quickly as possible i retired september 30th of 2012 mm-hmm. i reported to my new job as a defense contractor october 1st hmm. of 2012 and day one complete panic attack i was in um you know i was working in hawaii at the time so i'm in a pair of khakis uh aloha shirt i mean standard uniform of like anyone any male in hawaii um going to to work and i had a full-on just panic attack i had taken off the uniform and I had no idea who I was, hmm. which eventually led into me spending my lunch hours at work, um, going to my truck and essentially just crying. I was ashamed. I was lost. Uh, it was a dark time. And, you know, I'm not blaming the military in their transition program, but they don't give us what we need. Or, and, and I, you know, through, as we'll talk later, but like, they just don't know what we need. And I had an identity for 23 years, longer than, you know, more than half of my life. I put on that uniform every day while it changed, you know, many times as the military does their uniform styles. Um, 
it had changed many times, but still I put on a uniform every day. And I was very confident in who I was and, and what I, I brought to uh, the table. Take that uniform off. I was freaking lost. I had no idea. I was a shell. Hmm. And, you know, just trying to be like, as Tom Brokaw, you know, touts the, the greatest generation. I felt like I was failing. And hmm. I got into a really deep, dark spiral. I lost my marriage over it. Um, yeah, I struggled a lot. I struggled a lot. Um, I, and, you know, let me just go back and say, like, I didn't lose my marriage. I lost my marriage about freaking 10 years before I retired. Hmm. I just realized that I had lost my marriage after I retired. Hmm. Um, It, it was a tough time and I struggled a lot. I, I still struggle um, as we all do, but I mean, I still struggle, but I am, I'm better equipped and better ready to face the world every day uh, because I've found purpose again. I've, <laughs> I know why I exist. Tell us about that. I know you're working at Team Rubicon. And maybe for listeners who don't know about Team Rubicon, you can share about that too. How did you, how did you go from lunches in the car crying to working for a veteran organization? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Team Rubicon was founded in 2010 after the uh, earthquake in Haiti. Um, group of Marines. I uh, had gotten out and, you know, they had like these crazy good skills. And um, there was a young guy named Jake Wood. And he said, he started calling organizations. He's watching this unfold on the TV, much like we all did with 9-11. Uh, you know, he's watching this unfold on TV and he's just like, I can help. And started calling a lot of organizations and, and everyone turned him down. Like, no, you don't have... It, the experiences or the skills that we need. And it's like, we do anyway. Uh, they, they took this as more of a challenge than just sort of defeat. And they deployed a uh, group about eight was well, a group about four that left here, met up with some uh, Jesuits uh, that were working in Haiti. And they stayed there for several months doing medical missions and employing their skills and, I mean, it was crazy because, like, they couldn't even fly into Port-au-Prince because they're just because of all the humanitarian traffic going in. So they flew into the Dominican Republic, um, which is on the same island, but, you know, different state. And they hiked into Haiti. And to hike into Haiti from the Dominican Republic, you have to cross a river. And it was much like Julius Caesar crossing the river of the Rubicon going into Rome to challenge the authority to say like, this is not acceptable. And, you know, there's a very famous quote of, of Julius Caesar, like as he crossed the Rubicon, he basically told like his troops, the die is cast. There is no turning back. And 
that is what transition from the military is like. You need to cross your own Rubicon, burn the boat. There's no ways of retreat and keep moving forward. Your path is set, but you need to get on it and acknowledge it. And that's how Team Rubicon started. And one of those folks, um, he was not on like, he was not on the original like flight over uh, because he could not miss his sister's wedding. He flew out the next day and eventually rendezvoused with the team. Um, his name is Clay Hunt. And we can get into more about Clay's story. Mm-hmm. But it just showed the tenacity and the grit of like your your service is desired needed by the, the world that we live in. Hmm. And a good friend of mine at the time, uh, when I was going through this transition, said, hey, Michael, I, I know that you have like this compassion, this empathy, and that you're at your best when you're responding to like a humanitarian assistance or a disaster response, uh, which I had done multiple times throughout my career in the Navy and had found like an affinity towards it, um, but was a, was not able to fulfill that once I got out. And he's like, you should check out this group named Team Rubicon. And this is back in December of 2012. And I'm living in Hawaii. There's about four members of Team Rubicon in the state of Hawaii because we're still very young. And we got the call. There was two EF5 tornadoes that swept through a little tiny town outside of Oklahoma City called Moore. Um, and we got deployed. We had no idea what we were getting into, but I can tell you that the day that we arrived in Moore, Oklahoma, the three of us, uh, myself, a woman by the name of Amanda McDonald and a guy named Terry Rivera, who was a firefighter in New York and responded to September 11th. Um, we arrived in Moore, and I felt like I was just reporting to a new command in the, from my time in service. Hmm. The, the camaraderie, the, the sense of purpose, the sense of mission, it was, it was electrifying. Hmm. And I was, I was sold. And I've never looked back since then. It, that moment of me getting on ground in Moore, Oklahoma changed my life. Hmm. You started to, when did you start to work at Team Rubicon officially f- full-time? Sure. I mean, the, sort of the, it's like a story with everything. Um, so I was still a volunteer with Team Rubicon. I was also a Clay Hunt fellow um, with Team Rubicon. And through the fellowship, it had given me the courage to step away from government contracting. And I was working for the Wounded Warrior Project. Um, And I was in Jacksonville, Florida, going through some training. I woke up one morning. I was on my way back. I was going to fly out that day, go back to Hawaii. Woke up, turned on the news, and there was an earthquake in Nepal. Got to the airport, got a phone call from Team Rubicon asking if I could deploy to Nepal. Called my boss um, at the Wounded Warrior Project and said, hey, 
I got an opportunity to deploy to Nepal. Want to just check with you to see if that's okay. He's like, absolutely, it's okay. You just got to take time off. Hmm. Thought about that on my way from Jacksonville to DFW, and I'm like, I want to work for an organization. And, and this is no slight to, to Wounded Warrior Project, because I'll, I'll go into like how freaking supportive they are, not only of Team Rubicon, but hmm. just of me personally. Yeah. And, but it was just, you know, it's, it's, what every 70,000 volunteers of that we have in our ranks of Team Rubicon have to do. They have to take vacation time to go deploy to help people. Wow. But on that flight from Jacksonville to, to DFW, I thought, like, someday I want to work for a company where I don't have to take time off um, to go help people. And I call, you know, I touch base with my boss in Dallas. I'm like, okay, I'm going. Uh, good to go. I'm putting in for two weeks vacation. It's like, got it. Um, get to Hawaii. Get the call from Team Rubicon. Like, report immediately to Los Angeles. So I pack my bag, fly to Los Angeles. And I'm off to Nepal. It's an amazing response. And the whole time I'm over in Nepal, Almost daily, I'm getting check-ins from from the Wounded Warrior Project. Like, how's it going? Do you need anything? Um, you know, just check in with us. Which was comforting to know that I had a uh, an organization I was working for that felt that much about me. Um, came back after two weeks of just tremendous work that we were doing there, and when I landed, um. I got a call from the guy who's run the Clayton Fellows program, and he's just like, hey, I'm going to be transitioning out. Uh, you should look for, to apply for this job. A couple weeks later, I'm in San Diego working with Wounded Warrior, and I get a phone call from David Burke. Uh, I should, oh, um, yeah, from David Burke. And he's like, hey, do you want to run the Clayton Fellows program? I'm like, I'd only been with, with Wounded Warrior for about nine months. Hmm. I'm like, oh man, this is going to look messed up on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> so I, I said yes, and I I, I called my boss at, at Wounded Warrior and talked to him about it, and genuinely, he could not have been more happy. Hmm. He's just like, you cannot pass up this opportunity, and if Wounded Warrior was just a, a, a stepping stone to get you to where you need to be, hmm. then we're happy to have done that. And then it like, kind of like the light went on, like, wow, how can all these veteran organizations out there just like really collaborate? And they do. Hmm. Um, like they help us find each other and they put us in connection. It was, it was glorious. So that, cool. that's kind of how I found my way to, to TR and I couldn't have done it without um, the Clay Hunt Fellows Program and Wounded Warrior taking a chance on me. Well, tell us about the Clayant Fellows Program and also, as you share about it, um, similar question to what we asked earlier. What, what, is, what has it been like to work for TR? What has it done for you? What, is it, what has it produced in your life? Sure. Um, so Clay Hunt, you know, like he was a day late getting over to Haiti because of his sister's wedding, but uh, he served alongside our CEO. Um, they were both Marine Corps snipers and Clay 
Clay had gotten shot um, in the wrist when he was in Afghanistan and got redeployed back to the or redeployed back to the United States for medical care. Um, and subsequently had like a lot of survivor's guilt and suffered from PTSD. Um, not a unique story, just a really a tragic one. And, you know, he went through periods of depression, periods of, you know, just highlights and uh, ultimately lost the battle in March of 2011. Um, and immediately afterwards, Bob Woodruff Foundation uh, from, you know, the ABC war correspondent uh, who does a lot of work with post 9-11 vets came to us and said, hey, we'd like to give you a, a donation in, in memory of Clay. And shortly thereafter, we started the Clay Hunt Fellow Program. And you know, the, the Clay Hunt Fellows Program is really designed to like sort of bridge that gap and like that military transition and, and and help you identify who you are now that you've taken off the uniform. And when I was chosen um, to run, you know, just to be at the helm of this program, it was sort of the realization at 45 years old, I've, I've found exactly what I was brought to do. They have offered me like the greatest chance to be who I am and to impact, hopefully impact uh, the lives of, of, you know, Clay Hunt fellows that have come and those that are going to come. I have never felt this fulfilled in my life as I have now, as I do now, ever. It's, 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 it's incredible. Um, to be on the ground with Team Rubicon, I've deployed, you know, a variety of places from the United States to, like I said, Nepal, to the Philippines, um, to Ecuador. And the feeling of being there and being able to utilize your skills, like, you know, I'm unique in logistics. Um, which is not a very sexy thing, but it's still very essential. And they give me the opportunity to re reutilize the skills that I learned in the military to serve the communities that we're, we're serving and, and to help them on their worst day. And I, I can't imagine another organization out there that's like empowers you and emancipates you to be you, employ who you are, help people on their worst day. But the secret sauce is like, by helping them, you're helping yourself. You're fulfilling exactly why an all-volunteer force that our military is made of signed up, and that is to serve the community, to serve our, our brothers and sisters that we live with. Hopefully that answers the question. I kind of went down a rabbit hole there, but yeah. So now you're, you're working with a dozen veterans at a time in cohorts um what what are you seeing we're going to switch gears a little bit talk about what you're seeing as it relates to veteran transition 
Um, wh what do you see as the biggest challenges right now? Wh what are the biggest challenges? Uh, how are you helping with the Clan Fellows program? And, um, and what, are the, what do you think are the biggest opportunities to, what do you how do you think it should be done? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, the Department of Defense, like, really tries their best to, like, help us transition. But I think they're not in tune with, like, what we really need. And, and that is, like, identification of who you are. Um, you know, they give us a lot of um, transitional techniques and, you know, helping with writing resumes and getting into school and finding employment and, you know, continuing medical coverage. That's all good. But we're, meeting, we're, we're definitely missing a critical piece, and that is taking a tactical pause. And that tactical pause is like, poof, I'm going to stop. I'm going to think about me, which I haven't done in like however long they served in the military. For me, like I, I really hadn't taken a tactical pause to focus on me for you know a couple of decades. Because I had a mission. I had a purpose. But on that uniform, you, you know what your role is. Clay Hunt Fellows Program takes you through that, and we force the individuals to stop, drop the armor, and really identify who they are now. Because the fact is, we still lose, you know, over 20 veterans a day to suicide. And that suicide. I honestly believe happens because of people looking in the past and sort of longing for that time when they had a purpose, when they could identify with themselves. There's no, there's no bridge to help them identify who they are now and make them confident in what they can contribute. And the Clay Hunt Fellows forces these 12 individuals in each cohort to stop just to be still and to internally focus on who they are. That's impactful. That saves lives. How are you and, doing that? Well, I mean, through a variety of things, but I would say the most, and this is no, you know, self high five, but like one of the most critical aspects of, of that self-discovery and emotional intelligence um, phase of the cap or of the Clay Hunt Fellows program is U School. I mean, U School, I can definitely tell you, has saved lives by taking that tactical pause and discovering. I wouldn't say discovering is the right word, I would almost say like unveiling your true story and owning it and then projecting it and then living it. I mean, it takes you through that whole journey. And I wouldn't be here on this you know, interview had I not gone to youth school. I mean, I, I believe it saved my life. I was in a downward spiral. And youth school brought me the confidence to find purpose again. Find where passion meets strength. Talk a little bit more about what you said, that projection of the life ahead. What, 
What do you mean by that? What, what's, what's so helpful about that? Yeah. I mean, you know, just having that ability within yourself or that, just that, that self-awareness, um, it, it radiates. And when we're out like on disasters, that radiation, you know, it, it affects people around you. And it, you know, I would say that it's almost through the power of vulnerability that, you know, of that acceptance of who you are invites others to like, just get to know you. And so it's sort of a, a lily pad effect. Like I may just being me may impact someone else who then starts asking questions about, you know, and, and start set their own little individual path of discovery could then radiate and impact someone else. I mean, I think a great study would be like seven degrees of U school or six. What is it? Is it six <laughs> degrees of separation. Yeah. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon, something like that. Yeah. Six degrees of U school. I mean, because mm -hmm. like it, it radiates out. That's empowering. I mean, the, I mean, it, it is, it's emancipating. Like, just the the self confidence that comes with being self aware mm -hmm. that projects, mm -hmm. and many people, many veterans, can find themselves in a dark place, and that radiance that you bring of self awareness could be a beacon of hope to someone else. Well, I think that's why it's been such an interesting unique partnership with you school and team Rubicon that, that this idea of the purpose of your life as a veteran being in the past, like you talked about veterans can get stuck in the past. TR really provides a sense of, no, it's actually in the, it's, you know, absolutely it's in the past, but it's also in the future. It's the next disaster that you're going to respond to. And I think the use school part of that is even filtering even more to be able to project that it's not even just when you deploy to do uh, an engage in disaster relief, but what would it look like to even reimagine oh, yeah, 52 weeks a year for your life to be purposeful? And so to see a, a picture of that, that I, I, uh, from what I've heard from you and the other uh, Clayon fellows, that those deployments bring a spark, they light it up. And um, no, but we want to, we want them to see that throughout the entire year, right? Not just come mm -hmm. 70,000 folks can't work for team Rubicon full time. But um, have you just, do you have one quick example uh, outside your own story? Maybe one of the fellows who's seen a different vision for their life and what that's looked like. Oh man, that's a great question. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I can, I can talk about, um, uh, I'll I'll bring up JJ Selvig. I mean, he's probably like one of the best examples of uh, what Team Rubicon can provide. And and you know, like I first met JJ uh, in Moore, Oklahoma, back in 2013. He was on his way out. I was on my way in, so it's kind of like you know, quick high five. But I remember him, like just tatted up, like MMA. Um, Marine, just an operator, like just, I mean, 
the great image of uh, that we've recorded in history of you know just JJ just like demolishing a, a shed with his own just physical strength. Um, yeah, he just he was an operator. That's what he did in in the Marine Corps, and that's what he continued to do. Team Rubicon, you know, through his service in Team Rubicon, he found a different side of himself that was needed, and that's of a mentor and a teacher. And, you know, JJ has gone through the fellows program and came out from youth school like, I need to, I need to help my brothers and sisters, and, and this is a great opportunity. For me to become a youth school guy, and you know now, and JJ is a full time employee with TR, and and works with me running the Clay Hunt Fellows Program, and he is more comfortable in his skin today than he has been since he had the uniform on, and it's because of Team Rubicon. Well, Michael, needless to say. Thank you for what you've done in service to our country. Thank you for your continued service through Team Rubicon. And, and it's, you know this, but for our listeners, uh, your partnership with U-School, being a U-School guide, uh, leveraging our program to be in service for veterans. I mean, it, it absolutely means the world to us. It's just, it's so unique, so special. It's such a gift. I'm, I have immense gratitude. For the listeners, how how can they get a hold of you? How can they learn more about Team Rubicon? I know even, even me, I'm a part of the TR Nation. Wow. What does it look like for a non-veteran even to get involved? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, like we went from like the original eight that deployed to Haiti, you know, back in 2010 to now where it's like almost 76,000 volunteers uh, here in the United States. Uh, we've grown globally um, to TR Canada. Uh, TR UK, TR Australia, and now like forming up TR Norway. Um, and, and these are all our coalition partners that we've worked with um, during OIF and OEF because those veterans face the same things that we do. But what we've noticed is like it's not veteran specific. People face this. I mean, just, you know, those that didn't even wear the uniform. I mean, particularly like our first responders. I mean, they, they have their own uniform. Um, so we're comprised about of 70% veterans. And the rest are just, or I shouldn't say just, they are first responders and just really kick-ass civilians that just want to help their neighbors. So it, you don't have to be a veteran to join Team Rubicon. You can go to teamrubiconusa.org. Maybe I'll say that a little bit slower. Teamrubiconusa.org. And right there on the front page is like, I want to be a volunteer. No skills necessary. Much like underwater welding. Um, no skills necessary. <laughs> it all comes back to that, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> and it's, it's our one ad. We mm -hmm. want people to be involved in their community. Mm. And by being involved in their community with Team Rubicon, we make their city more resilient. Mm. And the first time we should not, or we should meet, 
it's not in a disaster. Mm-hmm. But maybe just like some sort of engagement event, like um, a community beautification project or a mitigation project, whatever. We're getting out of the community, we're getting to know our neighbors. And when disaster happens, we're much more prepared, not only through the skills that uh, Team Rubicon has provided our volunteers, but through the relationships that we've built and just being neighbors. Michael, thanks for being on the podcast today. And we look forward to it. I don't know if you would mind, but we'd love to have you on again at some point. Absolutely. More than happy to do it. I, I, I can... I can talk about this all day. Thanks, brother. All right. Take care. Take care. Bye. Thank you for tuning into the U-School podcast. We want you to know about our brand new LifeScript course. Our flagship program that we offer is now available in a digital environment on our website. The course is designed to help anyone who is in a period of life transition to reflect on the big questions that matter the most. Questions like, who am I? What's my story? What do I believe in? What kind of person do I want to become? What's my mission in life? How can I best contribute and who do I belong to? The digital course has been designed to be intuitive and deeply human. You will recruit your own team of life advisors to track with you the entire time you engage in self-reflection, giving you the feedback and support you need to write a great story for the next chapter. Just go to theuschool.com and if you sign up, use the promo code PODCAST10 to get $10 off the list price. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T and the number 10. Remember. You only get one life. Make sure your life reads like a great story.